Hello, hello, welcome to episode four, season three, and I am continuing in the theme of possession. And as I had mentioned, was it last week, that I hadn't really done possessions that ended in death, except for one, there was one other one, maybe two now that I think of it, it depends on whether you think it's a possession or not. Sadly, the one that I'm doing today that I'd had bookmarked at the time does have a tragic ending. I think it's more common than we realized. It's not just for the movies. But before I get started on that, how you been out there? Are you doing okay? Because I am still recording in January, yes, I told you last time I was going to get really far ahead, I have no idea how I'll be feeling or what I've been doing by the time this comes out on February, I think, 25th. If I try to gaze in my crystal ball, I'm going to guess that I will be enjoying some nicer weather. Perhaps I've been down to the Oregon coast at least once by now, and a good time was had by all. Yes, that's what I'm wishing for. Before I get into this, let's get some business out of the way. Please come find me and chat me up on Twitter at PodPinky. Send me your stories, stories, sroyt at pinkysquarepress.com. Visit me on buymeacoffee.com slash pinkybod, chip pod. Uh, bleh, oh, uh, let's just get all of the flubs out of the way right now. Yeah, there we go. On the least important of this, <laughs> the non-story part. Buymeacoffee.com slash pinkypod. Toss me a dollar. Toss me a hello. Say something, you know, join up, whatever. Like, review, share, comment. These things are life to us. We love these things, we creators. We love it. Maybe check out my books. You can go to pinkyswearpress.com. I'm working on an omnibus. I'm working on a new piece of fiction. And uh, let's see what else. Yeah, that's enough websites for now. Because what you're really here for is this sad and true, very true, story. The whisper started in April in the mind of the 23-year-old nun. In the heart of an Orthodox convent in Romania's impoverished northeast, doctors say, Marisica Irina Cornici believed she heard the devil talking to her, telling her she was sinful. She was treated for schizophrenia, but when she relapsed, a monk and four nuns tried a different method, exorcism. Last week, Cornici was bound to a cross gagged with a towel, and left in a dank room at the convent for three days without food, where she then died of suffocation and dehydration. The case has stunned this impoverished nation where rural youths, many raised in orphanages like Cornici, have flocked to orthodox monasteries and convents for spiritual help or food and shelter. Polls show the Orthodox Church to be the nation's most trusted institution. In April, Cornici had been admitted to a psychiatric hospital in the northeast city of Vasily. She thought the devil was talking to her and told her that she was a sinful person, said Dr. George Silvestrovici, a psychiatrist who treated her. It's a symptom of schizophrenia, and she was probably having her first episode. The nun was given medication and released on April 20th to the care of the Holy Trinity Convent in the nearby village of Tanaku, an isolated community of about 1,000 people in a hilly area cultivated with vineyards and corn. She was supposed to go back to the clinic in 10 days, but she never did. Daniel Pertu Korajinu, a 29-year-old red-bearded monk who served as the convent's priest and allegedly led the exorcism, told the media he was trying to take the devils out of the nun. He said she had to be restrained because she was violent at that and that she refused to drink holy water. Corajanu and the four nuns were charged with aggravated murder on Wednesday in Cornici's death after testifying for 11 hours to prosecutors. If found guilty, they could face up to 25 years in prison. The monk said Friday outside the courtroom that he and the nuns were innocent and blamed media pressure for the arrests. His lawyer has asked for the case to be moved to a different location, citing the intense media and public scrutiny in the area. Romania's Supreme Court is expected to rule on a location for the trial. 
I am scared that if I went to the monastery, they would crucify me too, said Ian Christia, a 52-year-old former welder who suffers from epilepsy and said he was hospitalized with Corneche. Others said the prosecutors were swayed by public pressure and went too far by charging the suspects with aggravated murder and that a lesser charge of manslaughter would have been more appropriate. Aggravated murder implies intention and committing the crime with intentional sadism, said Aurelian Pavlescu, a lawyer and member of Romania's parliament. But they believed they were helping the woman and that they were curing her from her pains. In Cornici's native village of Pereni, about an hour drive from the convent, her relatives demanded justice for the young woman, who they said joined the convent just days before she was admitted to the hospital. She was disfigured. She had marks on her hands, her ankles, and her stomach, said her aunt, Anasara Antohi, 29 years old, standing by Cornici's grave, which is marked with a simple wooden cross with the words Sister Irina scribbled on it. She was a good girl. It was too cruel, God, much too cruel, her great-uncle, George Antohi, 53, said, as he burst into tears. Those who allegedly killed her, quote, should all be crucified like her. In Tanaku, a couple said that they met Kolrajanu, the monk accused in the case, when he baptized their godson at the convent, a wooden building with a metal roof that overlooks a rolling hill. He held a beautiful service, said Patricia Pintilli. Who knows what happened there? The church has closed the convent and its gates were chained Friday. A nearby sign warns that no men are allowed in after 4 p.m. and that only Orthodox believers who are properly dressed can enter. Here we only talk to God and we sing with the angels in silence and with much prayer, says another sign posted on the convent's white fence. The Orthodox Church has strongly condemned the exorcism ritual in Tanaku as abominable. It has banned Korajanu from the priesthood and excluded the four nuns from the church. Orthodox monasteries and convents have flourished in Romania since the 1989 fall of Nicolae Ceausescu. Oh, I had this. Ceausescu. I had to look up my phonetic spelling. Brutal communist regime which suppressed religion. The Tanako convent was built in 2001 by a private donor and not yet, not yet been sanctified by the church. Cornici's death and the revelation that Korajanu was ordained as a priest without having finished his theological studies have prompted the church to impose stricter rules for entering monasteries, including psychological testing. That, my friends, was a cbsnews.com article by Allison Mutler, which is back from 2005. This happened in 2005. This is the case of Marachika Irina Cornici. And I'm going to tell you up front that the priest was sentenced on appeal. <laughs> That's my cat. Dude, we're trying to be really serious here. We're trying to be serious. I took his, uh, <laughs> took his toy away, a big box. I get daily harvest. But it has this um, padding inside that he... <laughs> He tries to eat. I don't know what's wrong with him. He eats the weirdest things. Okay, are you done? We have a very serious subject going here. I'm going to leave this in the podcast because why not? Oh, and he's even scratching at the door. He wants his box, but wow, you are obsessed with those. If anybody out there ever gets Daily Harvest, you know what I'm talking about. It's not exactly styrofoam. It's something that's completely recyclable, but he's he loves boxes, of course, but he always wants to get in and start chewing on that part. And then I realized he was trying to eat it. And that would be bad, don't you think? Okay, you, you done now? Can I get back to this? All right, pardon me for that. There you go. A little uh, quote-unquote sort of live. <laughs> live from the podcast. All right. I think he's done. He was still kind of running around like a crazy cat there for a minute. So I paused. We'll see. Now what I was trying to say before he started to entertain us is that this is the case of Mauritia Irina Cornici. And I was trying to tell you up front that the priest was sentenced on an appeal to seven years. One nun was sentenced to six years and the other three to five years. It was widely 
publicized and I guess a somewhat lengthy trial. And I will even tell you that a coroner, Dan Georgine, Georgiou, I, I will probably mangle all these pronunciations, claimed, but I will say them with confidence, hopefully from now on, so you'll believe me, yeah, claimed her death was actually due to an overdose of adrenaline that was given in the ambulance. We shall see about that, but dude, I'm going to say right now, she wouldn't have needed that had she not been crucified. All right, let's back up a bit. Little tiny bit of quick history here. Socialist Republic of Romania had promoted state atheism. It collapsed around 1989 after the in the aftermath of the Romanian Revolution. No longer were Christians persecuted and there was a revival of Christian monasticism. Now when I say state atheism, that can mean non-theistic and or promotion of secularization by governments. It can go deeper than that, but we are not here for a history lesson on that that I would probably want to spend a month looking into. We're here for Cronici. Okay? So according to grunge.com, one of my wingmen here, this exorcism was the same year that the Vatican started offering exor an exorcism course. Exorcism and the Prayer of Liberation. It still offers this course, as far as I know, at least uh, as of 2018, per this mention in this article, article by Richard Milner. I just mentioned that as a point of interest, that this is still something that people do and believe in, okay? It was in 1999 that the Catholic Church updated its definitions of demonic possession versus physical or psychological illness. That was the first time they had updated this since 1614, okay? Catholic.org has some exorcism guidelines and maybe we'll visit those later. I don't know if I'll have time because I found some other things as I was going here. And these beliefs are very much alive and well, as I said. In January 2020, seven people in Panama were beaten and murdered in a very much not approved exorcism by a sect called the New Light of God. That's just messed up. That's just a very polite way of saying it's messed up. I think I might have, I've talked about possessions and demons before. Maybe it's the demon episodes, the origin. It ended up being a two-parter, I think. Um, it might have gone to that catholic.org. I still don't think they tell you every single thing they do in an exorcism, but I digress. When it comes to our 2005 case, this state's Marachica, Marasica was found dead at the Holy Trinity Monastery. She had been left for three days strapped to a makeshift stretcher of boards that resembled a cross. The priest had ordered that she be gagged, not given food or water. Paramedics who arrived said she was already dead when they arrived, that there was no pulse. You, you can't OD on adrenaline if you're already dead. There are, as a side note, um, two books on this case that were written by BBC reporter Tatiana Nikulescu Bran from 2006-2007. And I'll get to those again later because uh, it's one of the things that I kept researching. Just when I thought I was finished, you keep clicking the links, right? There's also a film inspired by the books and this true story. It's 2012's Beyond the Hills by Romanian filmmaker Christian Mungiu. Our poor nun, though, had a history of mental health issues due to an abusive upbringing. Her father also committed suicide in front of her there's mention that she struggled with her sexuality. The nuns and priests at the convent, of course, had no training in these mental health issues. And then I went to mysteriousuniverse.org to get a little more information. Brett Swanser had this to say, had this information. Marek Sika was born 1982 in Pereni, Western Moldavia. She was only two when her father killed himself in front of her. He'd been convicted of stealing chickens and had been sentenced to four years in prison, which I guess he did not want to serve. Her mother was alcoholic and abusive, so she wasn't up to parenting duties. Now, Irina, as 
she was called, I found out, and her brother, Vasile, that's right, she had a brother, were turned over to social services. At least that's what I gathered. It mostly focuses on Irina. It doesn't say a lot about him. Now, she lived in Barlat in an orphanage. And at the time, they were overcrowded and dirty little cesspools. Uh, they didn't have much food, and children were said to not be treated as humans. They were abused, and they died from this abuse and starvation. It wasn't until she was 19 that Irina found a foster family. She found work, saved some money, and for some reason decided to go to Germany. There, she worked as a nanny and eventually came back to Romania in the depressing year, now depressing for her, 2005. That's not what I was trying to say, but you know what I mean. It's a shame she didn't stay in Germany. That fateful year of 2009 is what I was reaching for. So she's 23 by now, and she joined the monastery, which is situated in the, was anyway, I don't know if it still is, in the remote Carpathian Mountains in Tanaku. She'd gotten the idea from seeing a friend from the, their time in the orphanage who had done the same thing. And this friend, friend's name is uh, Kitsa, by the way. The monastery sat on a very difficult-to-reach steep hill. Or the, <laughs> I said that backwards. The monastery is difficult to reach because it sits on a steep hill. I had such aspirations to do this so beautifully. I think I'm going to blame it on my cat, Kisu. So she lived a strict, quiet, simple life. No electricity, no running water. And Father Daniel, Karajanu, I'm just going to say Daniel, it's easier to say, was in charge. I may have been rather strict. Not long after she moved in is when the strange things started to happen. First, she would giggle uncontrollably during Mass. Irina claimed she had no memory of it when she was confronted about it. It grew from giggles to outbursts, which were often sexually inappropriate, and these outbursts were directed at other nuns. She began to complain of voices in her head, and she said that they told her she was sinful. She then started having violent outbursts. She'd vandalize things and lash out at people. She had to be subdued. Still, she'd claim not to remember any of this. Eventually, she was declared a danger, even to herself, as well as other people, and was sent to that psychiatric facility in Vaslui, where she was diagnosed with disorganized schizophrenia. But Father Daniel and some of the nuns thought she was being tormented by demons because, of course, here is yet another example of people thinking that they know better than trained experts. Sadly, it didn't help that Irina's own brother, remember him, Vasily, claimed to have seen a demon enter her once. Well, I'm kind of guessing since he had a similar upbringing, he might not have been so well either, and that's not an insult to him. Maybe he needed help. Even Irina, though, believed that the voices came from the devil. But again, this is not surprising. She was a nun, and schizophrenia will do that to you. Even the doctor had mentioned something about that. He said it was probably the first stage. After two weeks' observation at this clinic, she was released back to the monastery. She had actually gotten better, at least somewhat, at the clinic. But once she returned to that monastery, she pretty much right away got worse than ever before. I think maybe it might have triggered her being back at that place, especially if you think you're possessed by demons and now you're back in a monastery. And she's probably confused and scared. And there's no doctor there. None of these people are doctors. She started to have seizures. She'd growl, hiss, and snarl. She'd have fits where she pummeled herself mercilessly. She often had to be subdued, tied up, locked in a room until she calmed down. Uh, it's even said that there were times that she begged to be bound this way, claiming that demons controlled her. So it seemed obvious to the others that she was possessed. Ugh. If only they had sent her back to the clinic, right? Oh, if only, if only. 
Instead, Father Daniel decided that the only cure was exorcism. You know, as far as I saw, he didn't consult anyone as I think you're even supposed to do that. I know that I've mentioned this in season, clear back in season one of Adventures in Body Hopping, I think was the two-parter I did, yes, that you're supposed to get permission and you're supposed to follow certain rules and you're supposed to prove that it's a possession. Of course, it's their version of proof, but for you non-believers, and well, I don't know that I believe it. I don't mean just you. And they didn't do any of this. It's not like the movies, like, oh, they're possessed, quick, let's do it. It's not like the uh, Warrens. Oh, yeah, I said it. Nope. They did not go through any of these channels. Irina was bound, wrists and feet, chained to that makeshift cross, anointed with holy oil. Prayers were said over her while she snarled and struggled and cursed so much that they stuffed a towel in her mouth, gagging her. Three days. Three days. And then she was locked in a room until the devil left her. I don't know how long that was. At first, they thought it had worked. Oh, yay, big pats on the back. And Irina grew somewhat lucid. She had a little bit of food and drink, and then she fainted. And no one could revive her. Paramedics were called. They came. They took her. And this particular article stated that she died along the way to the hospital. The official cause at the time was dehydration, exhaustion, and asphyxiation. I do have to say I, I'm not sure about the asphyxiation because by then she no longer had the gag in her mouth, but dehydration and exhaustion I could totally see. Daniel and the nuns were arrested. They insisted, of course, that they had done what was necessary. And I actually have some... Oops, pardon the sounds. I actually have... Father Daniel's own words here as soon as I find them. Okay, so I've totally lost whatever it was I was going to read you. The gist of it was is that Father Daniel had said they had done what they needed to do and that she has now been released from the evil and it was God's will that she died. Basically, it's like, well, yeah, okay, she died, but she's she's cool now. She's not possessed anymore. And I was going to read it to you because it irritated me, but that's that's good enough. That's the gist of it. Because I don't know about you, but I'm always disgusted by the, oh, it was God's will that she died. No. No, it wasn't. She'd likely be alive had they sent her back to the clinic. It was his will. It was your will, not Father Daniel. Not. Not. Uh, I, I also, though, while I was trying to find this, while I did the pause and tried to find what he'd said exactly, I did come across another different explanation of the charges that he had committed false imprisonment, which led to her death. I'm going to guess that that might have been the the appeal later on, because they went more for a murder charge before that. Let's get back, though. The trial was a media circus. I told you already about the sentencing, but the parties involved continue to insist to this day that they are innocent. Uh, another article noted that in 2014, Irina's body was exhumed, and that was when they found adrenaline may have been the cause of her death. I also just read somewhere else that she was given six doses in the hospital. That was from Wikipedia. I don't know. I will say... Even if they they had, she had never never would have been in that position had they not tortured her. And the EMTs were probably just trying to save her. You give adrenaline to somebody when their heart stops. Uh, paddles aren't used like in the movies. I know of that I've seen paramedics talk about this online, EMTs, about how they always get it wrong in shows. It's, it's not after the heart has stopped and you're slamming them again, again, charge it again, trying to bring them back. It's The heart has already got in, gone into an irregular rhythm and they're trying to get it normal, something like that. But to this day, this case does reverberate throughout the countryside. Some brief notes on the trial. I, said, I told you they were arrested in 2005, originally sentenced to 14 years in 2007, Father Daniel was. The nuns, theirs pretty much stayed the same. 
it was a court of appeals that reduced his sentence to seven years. But in 2011, Daniel was released on parole. So not too shabby. Fucker. As Marichika Irina Cornici was lowered into her grave, there were claps of thunder heard. So the no longer Father Daniel defrocked scum son of a bitch declared that it meant God's will was done. Nah, nah, dude. Thor is coming for your ass. They had actually tried to get a life sentence for him, something else that I read, and maybe as much as this pains me to say, that was never the right call in the first place. I don't actually think this was premeditated. I think that it's crap that he did this. I guess he wasn't even ordained. There's, he didn't finish his uh, studies. The whole thing is just crap, 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 crap. But he probably did think he was helping her. I, the nuns, I'm sure, thought that they were helping. And belief is a hell of a drug, my friends. You all know this. So probably some degree of manslaughter was a legally correct attempt. I did find, I do have something else to tell you that he said, though, that'll probably make you want to puke or, you know, spork his eyes out. Daniel said, I quote, my biggest mistake was that I called the ambulance when I saw she was not moving. I think she died because medics who came tried to resuscitate her by giving her too much adrenaline. Had I not called the ambulance, she would be well now. Arrgh. Oh, hell no. No, she would not. Even had she snapped out of it at the convent, I fully believe that they would have ended up doing some of the same things to her because she had a mental issue. She would have started to exhibit the same signs as before, and they would have eventually killed her, I think, you know, if they've already had her fasting and tied down to a recumbent cross, what the hell? Imagine the audacity to say that you shouldn't have called an ambulance. But apparently he uh, stocked up quite a bit at the Audacity store when he went shopping since he didn't get any other medical help either. Didn't send her back to the clinic, didn't ask for advice, even when she had been given a diagnosis. I guess uh, there's another film, by the way. I, my notes are kind of all over the place, I'm sorry, but this case is a little crazy. 2017, there's a film called The Crucifixion, which is based on this. I don't know how well it's based on it, but it is. And to this day, Daniel still has his supporters because, as I said, belief is a hell of a drug. Now, I hadn't seen why she was exhumed. There must be some details maybe in the books that were written by that BBC reporter, also author. She's an author. So I did some digging, and Tatiana Bran is on Goodreads. She's a Romanian writer, but those books all seem to be in Romanian. I, I didn't see any in English off the top there, definitely not on Goodreads, and I thought, well, damn it. But then I dug some more, and I found something under the confession or deadly confession. And I'm just going to go straight to wordswithoutborders.com. I, I take it they had permission for this, so I will read some of it to you. It's from uh, June 2013 from the book by Tatiana Nikulescu Brand. This was translated from Romanian by Jean Harris. Here we go. In the spring of 2005, an exorcism took place in a small unfinished monastery in the Vaslui County in northwestern Romania. Casting out demons is more common in Romania than in the West, but there was nothing typical about this rite. A single priest officiated, whereas church policy requires three. The person undergoing the ritual is generally a willing, quiet participant accompanied by family. On this occasion, the hallucinating and unwilling victim lay restrained on an improvised stretcher of planks and boards that witnesses would later see as a recumbent cross. The young woman being exercised seems to have been suffering from end-stage leukemia at the time, and she was probably psychotic. 
for reasons that may or may not have been related to her infection. After two days of two days of exorcism, Irina Cornici gave signs of returning to her right mind and then died. Whether she expired at the monastery or in an ambulance on the way to the hospital will never be known. She was 23 years old. She was born in 1982, seven years before Romania's anti-communist revolution. She was an orphan and unsure of her sexual identity. She was attracted to women and protected herself against men. Was the religious community at the Tanaka Monastery guilty of a crime that seemed to have been ripped from the pages of Matthew Gregory Lewis's lurid gothic, The Monk? Also a movie, I think. Or was Cornici the victim of real-world Dickensian social injustices and prejudices that dated back to the pre-revolutionary times? Then head of the BB World Services Bucharest Bureau, Tatiana Nicolescu-Bran, investigated. Her efforts materialized in Romania's first non-fiction novels, The Confession and The Book of Judges. These strongly imply that Irina Cornici died the victim of malefic corruption, an overburdened, inadequate hospital system, and benighted but benign ignorance. You tell him, girl. Christian Munju's 2012 film Beyond the Hills was, quote, inspired by and at times clearly based on Nicholas Q. Brand's books. The excerpt printed here is a reconstruction that follows Nicholas Q. Brand's interviews with Irina's friends, Chita. This is spelled different. I told you about this friend. I didn't realize she would be so important. A Guide to Confession is a manual for Orthodox nuns and monks. Nevertheless, this passage is a work of reconstructed fiction that attempts to recreate Cornici's frame of mind before the final madness that led to her exorcism and death. And that was all a note by Jean Harris. Thank you, Jean Harris. Shout out to you because these are the details we want to know. The Guide to Confession was a small pamphlet with well-thumbed pages. You could see it had been used a lot. It contained a list of some 200 sins with brief descriptions and useful instructions for the person preparing to confess. Having this list of sins before us, we may examine our conscience in a detail, and in this way we may particularly discover the hidden sins we have committed which we did not know were sins, or which we committed without realizing that we were sinning, it said on the first page. Several pieces of practical advice follow. The surest and simplest method is to provide yourself with a piece of paper. Proceed with pen or pencil in hand and note the sins you have committed as you go on reading. The guide then explains that sins don't need to be presented to the priest in detail, but rather as briefly as possible without insisting on the circumstances in which they occurred. I may truncate this a little bit uh, instead of like word for word, okay? FYI. I despaired of God's help and pity, Mother Anastasia began with sin number one. The church porch held a wooden bench where the two women had now settled. Anastasia had already explained what preparing for confession meant, and she had offered to tick off the sins on a piece of paper so that Irina could better concentrate on her answers. I despaired, Irina repeated. She never thought despair was a major sin. Now, I, Anastasia had looked at Irina to see if she understood what it was all about. She thought that she understood, so she traced a dash ahead of sin number one. I declare that God will never forgive me, that I'm too full of sin, and that I'm going to hell anyway. This is what the nun said was the second sin. At this, apparently, Irina grew thoughtful. So it was a sin to think you'd go to hell. She even believed that she might have been in hell. Or at least, that's what her friend Chita, who was preparing to become a nun, had explained to her. Chita had told her that you can't mix prayer with the tireless lusts of the body, and that you need to bridle your thoughts, too, because you could commit great sins in thought as well. The two of them and someone named Bianca used to listen to songs recorded by Enigma when they were at the orphanage. They imagined they were inspired by the lives of medieval monks who imagined while chanting in their stalls they were kneading the burning bodies of women. Then they flayed themselves until they bled. All the monks, I guess. They would feel the deep wounds which they had punished themselves on their backs and they would wake from their reverie and then they would go again to prayer. I think that's all based on this enigma thing and what they thought of it. Sometimes when they listened to a song called Sadness, Irina felt a vibration of pleasure gushed somewhere between, beneath her ribs. It set off in concentric circles through her whole body, seemed to produce electric shocks from the top of her head to the soles of her feet with a bittersweet warmth, like those times when she made love to Bianca. 
Now she understood it was a sin to not believe in God's forgiveness. So she looked at Anastasia and nodded her head. Yes, she had doubted God's forgiveness, so there is sin number two. So Irina brightens up. So God forgives you. She was starting to like this review of sins. It was like a game where the one with the most dashes wins. On the other hand, hearing how many sins there were left, she didn't think she had committed many of them, and that was kind of a relief too. I oppressed servants, the poor, orphans, windows, the powerless. I mocked them. No, she had never committed sin number 13, nor 24. I injured my fellow man, spiritually and physically. No, she had not committed sin number 35. I believed that after it leaves the body, the soul migrates in the bodies of various animals. No, 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 and she had not committed the sin of witchcraft. She had not moved boundary lines to take property from her neighbor. She hadn't kept contraband in her house. She hadn't damaged anyone's property, swindled the state, taken birth control. She hadn't used the coil. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's another form of contraception. She hadn't had an abortion. She didn't commit adultery, adultery with a relative, a godchild, a godparent, a cousin, a brother, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a niece, or a nephew. She hadn't lived with someone out of wedlock. She didn't eat unclean things. She didn't joke about holy matters. She hadn't taken communion when she was having her period. She hadn't read sectarian books, no, uh, killed willingly or unwillingly. She set foot in the holy altar, altar. She put sanctified bread on the ground. She hadn't married a Jew, a Turk, a Catholic, a sectarian. She hadn't denounced anyone with intent to harm, and she hadn't hauled anyone to court. So now we're up to like sins 82, 83, 84 that she had to acknowledge because she hadn't done any of these other things. Got it? She prayed every morning, evening, and before every meal. She had not fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. Oops. She had not kept the four yearly fasts in their entirety. When she worked in Germany, it was different. They didn't eat meat, but you could eat eggs, milk, and cheese. And after that, someone named Mama Nellie and the old guy, her step-parents, I assume these are her foster, in the village of Kupter, they would slaughter five or six pigs a year, plus calves and fowl, and they spread big feast tables at holidays. But they didn't worry themselves too much over fasting. Now, I remind you, I guess this is a slightly fictionalized account of actual interviews. She wrote it into a narrative, which I am truncating. Okay, I'm not reading this word for word. I'm trying to give you the idea. This is what she believes the frame of mind might have been. She's kind of reconstructed it. I get what she's doing. I hope you understand too. I'm sure you're smart listeners, you know. So we go on here that yes, she had committed other sins. She used double entendres. Oh, but those are so great, my dear. She had lied. She embellished, you know, she exaggerated. She had looked at trashy movies and pictures, told people to go to hell. She worked on Sundays and holidays. She wore slacks. How dare she? She had fits of rage. She had been unforgiving. And she thought of other things during prayers. Her mind wandered. She had struck and beaten. I don't know who. She liked being praised. She had put her hands on other bodies for, they say here, licentious dissipation. Yes, maybe that's what it was called when she grabbed Cheetah by the cheeks, felt her up or hit her when she was torturing Bianca. Only she wasn't torturing her. She was very attached to that girl. She had caressed her, knew many of her secret places, and she had hit her too with passion. There she goes on to talk about how she remembers this girl. I committed the sin of onanism, which is what happens when a person provokes his own pleasure through masturbation. This sin is known as fornication with the devil. That's what Anastasia and the nun read to her, parentheses and all, to be sure that Irina understood so now we've reached sin 108. Are you keeping up? Without stopping, the nun went on to read the following sins since they were joined. I committed the sin, I committed the sin of one onanism with another person, one acting on the other. I with the other, the other with me, with the opposite sex, man with man, woman with woman, with children. Anastasia concluded and raised her eyes to Irina's face, waiting for a sign to know whether or not she should tick off 108 and 109. Well, I guess Irina began to sort of quietly reminisce about someone named Mannix on one of their vacations. Uh, there were many children from children's home number two, it's called, to go to camp. Mannix was a uh, short, thick-set, broad-chested, smart, wide, ravenous jaws. He looked like a Roma singer, Adrian the Wonder Kid. He knew more or less all the tricks. So they go on to talk here about this camp they were at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She is uh, in this narrative thinking about 
how Mannix had been accused of submitting eight girls from the children's home to sexual perversions, Irina among them. But he maintained that that was all a lie so that he would be quiet. So something terrible possibly had happened there, etc., etc. And that goes on quite a bit. There's a huge excerpt here. I, you know, I think I might want to get this book if the whole thing is translated. So I am trying to skim ahead here. Where are we? Get to the bottom of the manx here. So Irina was asked about those events. They asked her, as Mother Anastasia now seemed to be asking, if she had done any of these things that this whole thing details with Mannix. And she said yes. And that after that, things went on happening. So yes, dash before 108 and 9, dash at fornication with the devil. The sins of shame continued. Sodomy, Gomorrah. I didn't know that was a thing. I know what Gomorrah is, but adultery with animals. Okay. I mean, they're just making her go through the whole list. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do that? It was getting to be evening and Mother Anastasia was barely able to make anything out, but the business had to be finished before it got dark. She could see Irina was tired and was staring into space. So she says, you know, come on, there's not much left. And they're at 1.49, I came late to church. I left before the end of mass without good reason. They had 44 more sins to go. <laughs> so... They finally got it. They finally got it over. So she, uh, Irina felt better the next day. And now they mentioned Father Daniel, who was waiting for her to confess. She was already over the threshold. She had lost a lot of flesh at the hospital. And the black clothing seemed to make her even thinner and paler. She, she'd lost a bunch of weight. She knelt. And as was customary, he draped his clerical stole over her head. He made the sign of the cross over that and began to take her confession. For the sin of onanism, 100 kneeling genuflections with head bowed to the ground were generally given per day, together with 80 days of bread and water. Which now reminds me that I had found a detail of what they had given her after those two or three days of no food and water and being ganked, uh, ganked, <laughs> gagged, I don't know where that came from, bread and tea. A little bit of bread and a little bit of tea is what they had given her. So he says to her, Irina, I'm giving you as penance together with prayers, fasting with bread and water, and 1,000 genuflections before you take communion. Can you do them? And she said, I'll do them, Daddy. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what this says. Very well, cross yourself so I can give you absolution for your sins. And then he sent her with Anastasia to the font of holy water located in a small building. On the eastern wall hung a blackened icon portraying the Mother of God and under her a poster with devils burning in the fires of hell. And the poster said, women who have abortions will face frightful torments without end in hell. I don't think that we probably need to read more of that and it's, it's close to the ending of their little excerpt here. They don't, in this excerpt, start to talk about what happened. But I find this very interesting. I hope you did too. And I might try to look up this book to see if Jean Harris did an entire translation of this. I mean, since I have her name now as a translator, maybe there's an entire book. I don't know. Maybe she only did this excerpt. If you've read it or you know anything about us, you know, about this, feel free to let me know. And that is at uh, Twitter at PodPinky or SWrite.com or, you know, comment somewhere. We would like to have more details if you know anything about it. I may pause here and try to see what's happening with the dumbass Daniel currently. Hold on. I found a couple of little blurbs. One is on the Daily Mail. Take that as you will. There are pictures of Daniel. Apparently that film, Beyond the Hills, by the way, won a prize at the Cannes Film Festival. So now I'm thinking I should probably look that up. It must be really good. They mentioned that when he arrived... At a site of, a, of his, he was going to have a proposed uh, center. I assume he wanted to have his own religious center. It actually doesn't quite say. So Daniel arrived at a site of some proposed religious center, the eastern commune of Zapodeni. Furious villagers are said to have chased him into hiding. As you should. I hope that's true. A local council official said the priest had set up a home in a wooden hut in the forest, which he refuses to leave. When was this written? Updated July 15, 2014. That is 
the only thing I seem to be seeing on, uh, you know, I'm definitely wondering what else happened to him, but I don't see, uh, a lot of it I think is in Romanian, which I sadly cannot read. I think that's the only update I can give you. I'm not seeing anything new. Maybe he's still in his, uh, freaking hut, which, yeah, just stay there, jerk. Just stay there forever and ever and ever. I have found, this is also just 2014. I guess these are all when he was released. Religiondispatches.org. Romanian exorcist released from prison becomes new folk devil. So they mentioned the, uh, what happened in 2005, of course. After Cornici's death, Karajanu was transformed from a local folk hero into a national folk devil, this says. The case became an embarrassing symbol of a superstitious past that the new Romania and the Orthodox Church were attempting to leave behind. Karajanu and the nuns who assisted him were excommunicated. Rom Romanian media described him as a red-bearded killer aided by idolatrous nuns. So even if he does have some supporters still, this paints a very different picture. Uh, that some of the articles didn't really mention the people who didn't like him anymore. There's some evidence that Cor Cornici's, Irina's, death may have been prevented if the paramedics that the nuns called to the monastery had not administered a high volume of adrenaline. Six doses, I think, is not verified. However, Karajanu's current exile shows that the public remains unwilling to forgive him. So they also mention Beyond the Hills. And that is about all I have seen about him, which maybe that's as should be because piss on that guy, right? Would you pee on him to put him out of fire? Would you? Would you? I don't know. I can only find things up to 2014 when he was released. I found another, another mention where he attempted to set up a new monastery after he was released, and that did not go well. He was, this again talks about being chased out of town, and they believe that he is hiding in the woods. Uh, another quote from him from the trial is, I consider myself not guilty because Irina Corici's death was not down to the fact that we kept kept her locked up. We tied her up because she kept hitting and harming herself and we would have found her dead in her room eventually. Oh yeah, justify that, motherfucker. I admit I tied her up and stuck a towel in her mouth and kept her like this for, this says, five days, y'all. This is supposed to be a quote for him. Five days. He uh, And more of this quote is, I admit that I used to cover her mouth with tape while she took part in daily mass, but only because I did not want her to disturb the service. Four nuns helped me tie her up and guarded Irina for days. They tried to give her food and water, but she refused. All she accepted was holy water. You'll remember other accounts said that she wouldn't drink the holy water. This was the best solution for her because she had to recover from her constant agitation. So this is apparently the full quote of a little bit that I had read you from Wikipedia, which was this part. My biggest mistake was that I called the ambulance when I saw she was not moving. I think she died because the medics who came with the ambulance tried to resuscitate her by giving her too much adrenaline. You know, he didn't even know that, as far as I know, until they exhumed the body, which I still have not found out why. Had I not called the ambulance, she would have been well now. It was the last stage of her exorcism, and it is normal that a person possessed by demons faints when all prayers end. She was supposed to recover after that. This states that they were convicted of illegally detaining, so imprisonment, a person and causing their death during the detention. So that appears to be the official ruling. And despite those convictions, though, there's still, of course, some mystery around this, thanks to allegations that the court didn't take into consideration claims that the nun might have died from the adrenaline. They're still arguing about that. It was, the coroner is Dan Georgiou, who, I guess, a little bit reluctantly 
admitted there was some credence to this. He was part of the team who handled the ex exhumation of the body. It was concluded that the, women the woman died of an overdose of adrenaline. And he just says, don't ask me. I don't know why they didn't take that into account. I don't know either. I'm, this apparently goes a lot deeper than I expected. Again, if you have some information, let us know. I think I saw there might be some other podcasts out there on it, you know, from before this. Maybe I'll go listen to that. And um, if they have some extra details, I'll let you know if I find it again. I know I came across something. Sorry, I forgot to write it down. I thank you for listening through this. I always say this, like I always feel like, oh, what a scatterbrained episode. And then, then sometimes I go back and edit and I'm like, oh, it's really not. But I have a feeling that this one will be. I have a feeling it will be, but I'm not recording it over. Sorry, it's not happening. Just once in a while, you get one of those cuckoo for coconut ones, and it's me that's cuckoo for coconuts. Thank you for listening. What a horrible case. What a pompous ass this guy is. I hope he is out in a hut eating twigs and berries. Don't you? <laughs> Spit on that guy. How arrogant. Well, she's supposed to faint and then wake up and she'd be fine. You know, he wasn't even trained in this. He wasn't even trained in this. He didn't go, like I said, he didn't ask for help. He didn't even finish his, uh, is it theological studies? He, he's not really even a priest. Definitely not one now because he was defrocked. That always sounds, I know this is very serious, but come on, that word is kind of funny. Don't you think it makes me want to giggle? Defrocked. We, we, we had to take off the party dress. No more frolicking. I was defrocked. Cannot can no longer go, um, up, um, up, um, up. Yes, this is definitely getting away from me. I've recorded too many episodes in too many days, short days. Thank you for listening. Hang in there. I'll have something extraordinary next week, I hope. You can send me ideas, you know. You can always help me out a little bit here. Buymeacoffee.com slash pod. Help me get an education and be better at this so I can, when I mean educated, you know, I can buy more books or something and really get into it. <laughs> I don't know. But I should leave now before I get stranger. That's probably too late. Just remember, don't tie anybody to a cross makeshift or otherwise. And don't stuff towels into their mouths because you have a tendency to choke. And, you know, try to eat more than bread and tea. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.